the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. My name is Mark, and I'm the pastor of the Congregation of St. Thomas the Doubter, an independent ecumenical congregation for all people that embraces holy doubt, the importance of grace, and the power of solidarity in community. You can find out more about our congregation online at www.stthomascongregation.org. This podcast offers the scripture lessons and sermons from our Sunday evening services. In the future, it may also be a place for conversation and discussion on various issues of religion and faith. This is episode 9 and is from the service for April 30th, 2023, the fourth Sunday in Easter. The scripture lesson is Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, and the sermon is entitled, With Glad and Generous Hearts. We hope you enjoy the episode. Our scripture for tonight comes from the second chapter of the book of Acts, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So at um, Bible study this past Wednesday, Bill raised the question about what did we know about the ancient church, about the primitive church? And uh, this contributed to attaining a new record for us in Bible study in that we went through a grand total of three verses in an hour because we had so many digressions uh, and so many side side conversations about this, and not the least of which was this question about the primitive church. And so uh, we reflected, and I, I shared a little bit about how The primitive church, that is the earliest church, the first century church, has been a popular question over time. It has been the kind of thing that reform movements throughout the centuries have sought to reclaim in one way or the other, usually by paring down worship, by returning to a kind of simplicity. Think the Congregationalists with their simple white clapboard churches and not a lot of hierarchy where their sort of town meetings and church meetings are somewhat identical. Think of the Quakers sitting in silence before someone is moved by the Spirit to stand up and share a word in which there is also no hierarchy and the meeting is simply ended by two of the friends standing and shaking hands to to end they're gathering together. And so over time, the question of what has that, what was that primitive church like has been something that Christians of one kind or another have attempted to answer, usually because they seek to return to that model of life. Now, part of the challenge, and we discuss this in Bible study, is that it's very, very difficult to know with any certainty 
what that primitive church was like in the broad strokes. We get some, or in this sort of the, not the broad strokes, but in the, the everyday operation, we get some broad picture, um, some understanding from the scripture. But even then, we're dealing with accounts that were written some 30, 40 years after the fact, and it's hard to know how well those written accounts are capturing the earlier reality. But nevertheless, when people have sought to figure out what the ancient church was like, it is the second chapter of Acts that they turn to. In fact, the second chapter of Acts is popular with a number of different denominations for a number of different reasons. The Pentecostals like it because it tells the story of the Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And others like it because it offers this glimpse into the primitive church. Some years ago in the Baltimore, Washington area, there was a bishop who used this passage from Acts, the one we read from tonight, to model a, a, a pattern of church living that he called an Acts 2 congregation. Some of you may remember those words. And he wanted churches to demonstrate that they were being Acts 2 congregations. And he had a list of some of the things that were mentioned in Acts 2, teaching, fellowship, prayer, wonders, and signs. He focused on that a lot, the idea of the disciples out in the world performing wondrous acts, giving to those who were in need. And of course, the kicker for him, as I would say for most bishops, was the last line where it said, and every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. He saw this as a way to create vital congregations that would draw in more people, um, transforming both the church and the world. Now, the interesting thing about that is that it's very easy to look at that passage and to say, look, here's a bunch of things we should do. And to imagine that you have recreated the first century church. It's easy to see in the ancient church what you go looking for. It's not unlike the historical, the quest for the historical Jesus that many scholars in the late 18th, or sorry, late 19th and early 20th centuries engaged in that was famously criticized by the New Testament scholar Albert Schweitzer, who said that these scholars had gazed down the well of history and seen their own reflection. That is, it is easy for us when we go looking for the primitive church to look back and see what we go looking for. If we think that worship should be simple, it's easy to see the worship is simple. If we see that it's flat and hierarchy or doesn't have any bishops, things like that, um, then we can find that. But what happens is when we do that and we start looking for criteria and features is we make two mistakes. The first of which is there's nothing that says that the way they did church back then is the way we have to do church today. Right? It's a nice idea, but it's also the same idea that various groups throughout history have mistakenly made, where they say, well, at a certain point, we have to just live in the past, right? And so certain groups of uh, Mennonites, Amish, 
make those choices. Certain Jewish groups dress as they had in 17th century Poland, sort of saying, we were not, we're not going to go any further. We are going to reclaim this primitive faith by, in effect, living in the past. Um, but that's not what we are called to do. We are called to live in the world as it is. And so when we go back looking simply for a model of what we ought to be doing, we quickly replace one kind of orthodoxy or more accurately orthopraxy, one right way of doing things with another right way of doing things and miss what the text is actually doing. Because there's something about the ancient church as it was created to be that is not unlike ancient Israel as it was created to be. See, one of the foundational parts of both the covenant with Israel between God and Israel at Sinai and the way that Jesus sets up his community of disciples is that both things are meant to be an alternative to the ordinary communities of the world. That is, they are to model an alternative way of living from that of the surrounding culture. The surrounding culture, pretty much without fail, elevates the powerful and the wealthy over those with less power and less money. It puts a lot of trust in material possessions. It puts a lot of trust in force and violence and power rather than in self-sacrifice, humility, forsaking one's own status for the sake of others. And so both the ancient community of Israel and the church as they were intended were meant to model alternative community. So if there's one thing that we would take, it's not how they do that, what the particulars were, but that that is what is being asked of people. And so it be, we begin to see then that what we find in Acts 2 is not necessarily a blueprint for what each church community should look like, as much as an ethos, as much as philosophy of how that church is meant to exist in the world. It's meant to offer something alternative something that does not play by the rules of the dominant power structures and dominant systems of justice or injustice, as the case may be. It's interesting because often when people go back to look at the ancient Christian church, they do so with an eye toward, well, how are we going to model our society? How do we make our society a Christian one? How do we make our nation a Christian one? And there's a tension there because by definition, as soon as the state becomes Christian, it's not what it's meant to be. That is, the church is not what it's meant to be. The church is always perpetually this dissenting voice, this voice that challenges and holds accountable and stands on the outside of the systems of power rather than one enmeshed with the systems of power. It's not meant to give sanction to any social order. It is meant to critique all social orders as insufficient or as lacking in the love and the mercy and justice of God. What I find really interesting about this 
is that although the 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 editors of most of the New Testament texts have created a paragraph break between the first verse um, and the following verses, the lectionary has lumped them together, and I think for good reason, because that first verse begins that the they all devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and then follows with the things that they were doing, performing deeds of power, gathering with glad and generous hearts, and living in a communal way, sharing property and resources. And what's interesting about that is it makes the connection clear between how they were choosing to live and what the apostles' teaching had to have been. That is, this model of living as the church, this way of life, this alternative community that they had created did not come out of nothing. It came from what the apostles taught. And then, of course, by implication, from what Jesus had taught the apostles. And so what the early Christian church was trying to do was live a communal life reflecting what Jesus had represented for the world. And so the way they were living came from that teaching. It came from Jesus. And what do we see in this but some fairly radical, world-upending ethics? I mean, that would make sense, seeing as this ethic would be based on Jesus's ethic, which had the same effect, right? The first shall be last, the last shall be first, turning things on their head, that's a hallmark of the gospel. And so what do we find but people who are living together? And in, in words that would likely shock most people if you presented them to them, they sold all their possessions and redistributed wealth so that anyone who had any need was taken care of. They lived in a fairly commun uh, communal system that saw the forsaking of personal property for the betterment of all. In a world in which people demonstrated their status through the accumulation of material goods, through wielding wealth and power, land and riches, the church modeled the forsaking of all of those things, the giving up the sharing of bread, the sharing of food, the meals together were all sat in equal measure. That was how they lived out the Christian ethic learned from the apostles taught by Jesus. See, to them, Christian community was not a tribal label, right? It's not it's, it wasn't the ability to put a sticker on your shirt that says, hi, I'm Mark, I'm a Christian. It was a way of living out a reality that was powerful, a reality that so changed how people saw their relationships to one another that it communicated the radical love of God in the world and the way God was calling all people to reinterpret their social life, their communal life, their life as humanity on this globe in a new relationship of love, of mercy, of grace. See, these things 
radical. They, they're meant to upset the established order. They're meant to critique the established order, to, to operate in but not of the world, to engage in conversation with the structures of the world. That's what an Acts 2 church should be doing. It's not necessarily about getting the numbers. And to his credit, our bishop said he didn't want more, he didn't want more people. He wanted more disciples. And that's exactly the right way of looking at it. If done right, creating real Christian community is not about creating a club, but about modeling an alternative community that can be transformative of the world itself. And that draws people into that promise and sends them back out to witness to that love and grace with all whom they meet. Thank you for listening to this episode of the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. For more information about the podcast and our congregation, visit www.stthomascongregation.org. Thanks again, and we hope you will join us again soon.